Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. I, I want to talk to you tonight about resurrection because the birthplace of Christianity was not the cross, all right? The cross without resurrection is not a very good story, right? It's like sort of a sad thing, right? But resurrection is what makes the story great. And so I want to try to put language around resurrection because the problem with resurrection is with something so great, if we run out of language for it, then it gets sort of boring almost. It gets sort of, um, it, it starts to lose its meaning. Like if somebody at work said, so wait a minute, you believe a guy rose from the dead? And you go, yeah. And they go, so? And you, if all you have is, is oh, well, that means he rose from the dead. Well, wait a minute, that's missing some, some stuff. So what I want to do tonight is I want to try to put some language, not around the doctrine of resurrection, but around resurrection as a fundamental way of seeing our whole world. The cross and resurrection was not meant to be something to be believed in. It was something that happened that should fundamentally shift the way we see all other happenings after that. And that's different. This is why if you've ever felt like some of the explanations we get as Christians for the meaning of God falls way short, this is why. And it's not harmful. It's just uh, there's something missing. It's a little bit infantile almost. Things like, Hey, just come to God and your life will have meaning. No, it won't. No, it won't. Why? Because God is not that which gives us meaning. God is that which declares all things meaningful. And that is two different things. It's, it's sort of like love like that. Love does not have a meaning. Love defies meaning and renders all things meaningful. God is not that which enters into your world and makes everything obvious and neat and nice and fit in nice little boxes with clear meanings. God is the opposite of that. God is that which enters into what we think meaning is and bust it wide, flip and open with infinite possibilities. And that's better to live in an open universe instead of a closed one, a universe with open possibilities instead of a closed possibility, a universe where we don't have to only go by with what we see, but we can understand that God is at work and underneath certain things. That, frankly, is a better world to live in. It's that. In, in that sense, Jesus, God, they, they, these things, God is trauma. Tra trauma is any experience we have that once we have it, we can't see the world the same after that, right? And, and in most cases, that's spoken of negatively, right? So if you walk out of Woolworths and you get robbed at knife point, right? And you go, man, that was, tr I was traumatized by that. Yes, you'll never walk out of Woolworths the same. That's true. That's true. But trauma can also be positive, and if, and, and if the birth thing of, of Christianity is resurrection, then the birth point of Christianity is in the traumatic. Why? Because in all of our experiences, do dead people stay dead? Yes. And so if someone you saw died is walking around, that is not something that has meaning. That is something that defies meaning and renders everything meaningful. In fact, that is trauma. That is traumatic. A guy you saw dead is now saying hello? Trauma, right? Uh, for, for the God of the universe to wash people's feet instead of demanding his feet to be washed, that's not how it's supposed to work. That's trauma. For the God of the universe to forgive people at the foot of the cross who are torturing him, that's not how gods are supposed to act. 
God is supposed to, right? Burst people. No, evidently this God responds to hostility with peace. That's trauma. The whole Christian story is birthed in the traumatic. The whole Christian story is not about forming doctrines that we tick off and believe in. That is boring. The Christian story is deeper than that. It's not the doctrine. It's that the doctrine is around an event that fundamentally shifts the way we see all other events after that. And that makes it better. The whole thing is traumatic. Jesus said hello one time by walking through a wall. Trauma, right? Even his best friends were probably going to call him out on that. Come on, son of God, use the door. You're freaking us out here, right? Right? It's trauma. And so what happens with trauma is trauma is not something you believe in. Trauma is something that happens that after you experience it, you can't see the world the same after that. It fundamentally shifts the way you see your whole world. Like, like if somebody asked me, why does Faith Christian Church exist in Melbourne and you can't use spiritual jargon? Not allowed. Not allowed to use any spiritual language. Why does Faith Christian Church exist in Melbourne? I would say that Faith Christian Church exists to be the traumatic. That we exist to be the meaningful experiences with God that fundamentally shifts the way people see their whole world after they experience it. And that if somebody deserves retaliation and you give them peace, that's trauma. If someone can't do anything for you and you feed them and clothe them, that is trauma. That this is resurrection. This is what it's about. So here's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to take a survey of the first century people who experienced resurrection and their attempts to put language around what that means for how to see the world differently. And what we're going to find is they all had different language. Why? Because resurrection's hard to nail down. Resurrection's hard to just put one meaning on it. See, Western people, they approach the Bible with, I don't want to be wrong. Give me the one meaning. I don't want to be wrong. Jewish people approach the Bible with, I don't want to miss out. Right? Like, if you've got a different way to see it, tell me, and we'll add it to this beautiful 70-fasted diamond. And it depends on how we turn it as to how the light refracts through it. So what I want to do is I want to look at this by first looking at Revelation 21. So this is written by a guy named John who is showing us what a resurrection worldview looks like. What does it look like to see our world through the lens of resurrection instead of just believing in it? Here's what he says, if you could bring it up. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Why? Oh, well, the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So for John, if something dies, it just automatically means there is a new renewal, a new beginning. Why? Because resurrection isn't something to be believed in. Resurrection is a fundamental way of seeing the whole world. And if we see the whole world through resurrection, it makes us fundamentally redefine suffering and loss. Because suffering and loss is not the place absent of God. Suffering and loss is the place that is necessary to experience the resurrection of renewal. That God is not that, is not that which gives us the faith to get out of suffering. God is the presence of that that enters into the suffering with us and removes a little bit of the sting of it. That's what we're talking about here. That is a resurrection worldview. Now, here's Luke's account of the resurrection story of Jesus. Here we go. If you could bring that one up. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Trauma. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Trauma. And while they were wondering about this, you reckon? Suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. That is traumatic. And that's a joke I would do. 
hey, get them looking in the tomb and then put two angels dressed in white beside them to say hello. That is like, imagine that, like, oh my God, what are you doing? This is, this is traumatic. This is an experience you're gonna have that you can't fundamentally see the world the same after this. No, watch what happens. And, and why do you look for the living amongst the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day, be raised again. Next slide. Then they remembered his words. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. That, that, that's right. Now, this, this, this goes on. Now, you walk into a tomb where a dead body was, and he is now not there. And two guys dressed in white are telling you about it. That's traumatic. And so they're wondering about how to put words around this. So this goes on for a while. Let's skip forward in the story a bit. Next slide. This is verse 36. While they were still talking about this, you reckon? Jesus himself stood amongst them and said, peace be with you. Now, this is odd. He's walking through a wall saying hello. Trauma. Now, watch. They were startled and frightened. Yep. Thinking they saw a ghost. Uh-huh. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Are you kidding me? Why are we troubled? We watched you die, bro. This is troubling. This is trauma. We're not going to be able to see the world the same after this. And why do doubts rise in your mind? Well, in our experiences, Lord Jesus, dead people stay dead. And this is being challenged. We're, we are witnessing something that fundamentally challenged the way we thought the world worked. And that this is challenging. Now, now watch this. Look at my hands and my feet. Is it not I myself? Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see. So he offers them to touch his hands. Notice no one gets up to try that, right? It doesn't say, and Peter jumped up and said, no, he's like, hey, come on, come on, come on, touch my hands. It's me, it's me. Everybody's like, we're good, we're good. No, no, all right, come on, man, we're good. Now watch this. And when he showed them this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Keep going. And while they still did not believe it, which I think is, is reasonable at this point, like, like, wait a minute, am I really seeing, am I hallucinating? What's going on? Because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? Now, what he's fixing to do is a bar trick, right? He's like, you won't touch me. What I'll do is I'll eat a piece of fish, and if it doesn't fall through, that'll prove it, right? Now, watch what happens. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Why? Because the Son of God doesn't eat fried food, right? <laughs> and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. This is an amazing sort of thing. Keep going. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. That is the account of Luke around resurrection. Now, here's my question. My question isn't, do you believe in resurrection? I'm assuming you're in church on a Sunday night, you're sort of past that, right? Like, like as in terms of a doctrinal bullet point, yes, we affirm the cross and resurrection. Here's my thing. I think Christians should be more profound than believing in the cross and resurrection. I think it should be a fundamental way of seeing our whole world by defining it with meaning. So here's what I want to do. This is my best attempt at looking at the first century writers and the people who experienced it and their attempt to put meaning 
around it. And so uh, I'm going to do like a broad sort of birdshot sort of thing, pick up a couple of these, and, um, and I think we can change the way we see our whole world with this. Because my contention is, is that resurrection as a doctrine is okay. Resurrection as a fundamental way of seeing the world simply leads us to a better world. And I think that's better. Next, next slide. So what does this mean for us? One, resurrection demonstrates that death has no power. What appears to be the end is only a new beginning. Resurrection challenges the way we think about suffering and loss, that suffering and loss is not the absence of God, that great faith is not found in obvious wins. Great faith is found in profound trust in the perceived absence, that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is a part of the gospel story as well. Those moments where you did everything God asked you to do and you still find yourself in great suffering. Great faith is not having enough faith to get out of it. Great faith is having enough confidence and profound trust in the perceived absence as well as the profound presence. Resurrection challenges that. Resurrection challenges the way we think. If we were wrong about death, what else could we be wrong about? Like honestly, if death's not even a church thing, maybe we should open more conversations about God instead of closing them down. Maybe we shouldn't be so convinced that the way we've always thought is the only way to think. Maybe we should be a bit more teachable. Resurrection challenges the way we think. If we were wrong about death, what else could we be wrong about? Resurrection demonstrates the availability of new life here. And now, Christianity, being birthed in resurrection, means that Christianity is not a religion always wanting to go to heaven when we die, although we embrace that. Christianity says you don't have to wait to go to heaven when you die. Heaven is available to you here, now, today. Jesus' message was not go to heaven when you die. It was allow heaven to be so established in you right now that when you do walk into heaven, you don't get whiplash. That's the idea, right? You walk into heaven, you're like, yeah, we've been living like this for a while. This is what we're talking about. Resurrection says that this this world matters to God, that this place matters, that he came to this place. In the beginning of the Bible, God's making a new creation on the earth. At the end of the Bible, God's doing a new thing on the earth, and everything in the middle is about God doing a bunch of new things on the earth to prepare the earth for the new thing coming to the earth. So the beginning of the Bible, God's doing something new on the earth. The end of the Bible, God's doing something new on the earth, and everything in the middle is about God doing a bunch of new things on the earth to prepare the earth for the new thing coming to the earth. This is not about evacuating evacuating the premises. This is about reaching into heaven and bringing that thing down. And resurrection says that. Let's say it this way. Resurrection demonstrates that there's a new creation bursting forth in the middle of this one. It's a glimpse as to what might happen later. It makes us rethink uh, about miracles. See, sometimes miracles seem like the aberration. Maybe miracles are the normal, right? And this, this is what resurrection claims. Now, there's a guy named Paul, and Paul had an experience with the resurrected Christ. And it was quite traumatic. He got thrown off a donkey. He was blinded for three days. This is trauma, right? He cannot see the world the same. And the earliest treatise, remember Paul's writings were before the Gospels. The earliest treatise we have on the meaning of resurrection is Paul's treatise in 1 Corinthians 15. Now, 1 Corinthians 15 is long. It's 58 verses. 58, a 58-verse 58 treatise on the meaning of resurrection, in Bible terms, that's a saga. That's like the Shawshank redemption of Bible passages, okay? That is long. And frankly, if you read his treatise on resurrection, 
it, is long. it would take us six weeks to sort of try to delve through it. And frankly, he says some weird stuff in there. He's like, okay, what does resurrection mean for our world? Okay, um, okay. so you see the mortal must take on the immortal to inherit the imperishable. <laughs> Which leads to this question, what? Right? He says... <laughs> He says, okay, here's another meaning for resurrection for our world. Hey, because Christ rose from the dead, there's no need to baptize dead people anymore. Which leads to all kinds of questions like, was that ever a problem, right? So, so but, like, but like all great rabbis, all great rabbis, he summarizes his entire treatise in one statement at the end. So let's go to the Cliff's Notes version of this, right? And look at his summary, and let's apply it. This is what he says. Therefore... My dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is never in vain. In other words, because of resurrection, you can't waste your life. If you did it for God, you can't waste your life. Can't waste your life. You can't do it. What if we actually believe that? Well, let me actually use more profound language than that. What if we actually saw our world that way? Like, like, if resurrection is just a doctrine that we believe in, then we can feel like we wasted our life. But if resurrection is a fundamental way of seeing the world, Paul is claiming that if we did it for God, we can't waste our life. It, it gives us a way to rethink results. Like, like, look, and we should measure results, and we should always be aiming to make things better. That's called leadership. But, in, but if you did it for God, if it worked, great. If it didn't work, fix it. But you didn't waste your life right? If you're a husband for God, I hope she approves of you. I hope she loves you. But, but honestly, whether she does or whether she doesn't, if you did it for God, nothing is wasted. If you're a wife for God, I hope he loves you. I hope he approves of you. But whether he does or whether he doesn't, you can't waste your life because nothing is wasted. If you're parenting as an offering to God, you can't waste your life. You can't. And there's no guarantees in parenting. None. You can have four. I know someone who had four kids, same house, same school, same church, same parents. Three of them are pretty good. The last one is a bit of a lunatic, okay? There's no guarantees in parenting, but you can't, you can't look at that and go, well, man, I must have wasted my time with the last one. If you, if you parented for yourself, you absolutely did. But if you parented out of a service to God, then nothing is wasted. So you put on that event and half the people show up that you thought. You didn't waste it. Did you do it for God? You didn't waste it. You might, need to cons you, you might need to reexamine your marketing plan, but nonetheless, nothing is wasted. That you can't, give, you can't give your life. And remember, this was written by a guy who's going to die at the hands of Nero before he knew if what he gave his life worked. And he says, you know what? I can't, I'm doing it for God. I can't waste my life. Resurrection means I need to reexamine everything I'm doing, and if I'm doing it for God, I cannot possibly waste my life. So nothing should detour me from giving it a go, because nothing is wasted. Nothing is in vain. Let me try to put some language around that. Next slide. So resurrection declares that this world matters to God. It is still valuable enough for God to start the process of reconciling the whole broken thing to himself. Christianity is not an evacuation strategy. Christianity is about entering into the broken problem and being a part of the solution to fix it. It's about saying yes to the infinite possibilities that God has for our life to fix it. Why? Because resurrection is a way of seeing the world. It's sort of like this. If a four-year-old came to you and said, Mommy, Daddy, Auntie, Uncle whoever, I drew you a picture, right? Now, unless they're really gifted, that picture's going to be horrible, right? 
And so you look at the picture and you go, wow, what is it? And she says, it's a windmill. And you don't see a windmill anywhere in that, right? But what do you do? And let, I mean, if you have no soul, right? You go, that's the worst picture of a windmill I've ever seen, right? But you go, wow, wow. Now, what if she goes, what if she hands you the pen or whatever and says, you draw now, you draw. Well, what do you do? Well, if you have no soul, you crumple up her broken picture, you draw a perfect windmill, and you go, that's how it's done, little girl. Come back when you can do that, right? That's if you have no soul. But since you have a soul, what you would do, you would never throw away her broken picture, even though it's terrible. What you would do is you would enter into her broken picture and make it better. You might even put your hand over the top of hers and help her draw a better picture. And then what she's going to do is she's going to go show people the better picture. And what's she going to say? Look what I drew. But you know that you did it. She knows you did it, but you let her take the credit anyway. That's the gospel. That Jesus did not come into the world to throw away the broken picture of the world. He come into the world to engage the brokenness of the world and determine to fix it. And he's doing a really good job of it. Resurrection says that the way we act matters. Let's say it this way. Resurrection means that how we speak, act, and treat others matters. Because God is restoring creation. And we should be partnering with him to restore the world. How you treated your waitress today, that matters. Because you're either participating in the fixing of the world or you're tearing it down. How you treat your husband when he leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time, that matters. Why? Because you're either participating in his repairing or you're tearing it down. How you treat your wife when she disappoints you, that matters. Why? Because you're either participating in the repairing of the world or you're tearing it down. How you treat that person that cuts you off in traffic, it matters. It matters. Why? Because we're either repairing the world with Jesus or we're participating in the tearing it down. I don't know if you guys realize this, but the way you turn right in Melbourne is weird for everybody else, okay? All right? I, I know. And, and look, and, and there's no, when you rent a car, it's not obvious you're not from here, but all the tooting and pointing your finger at the sky doesn't really help, right? So when someone when someone from America who doesn't know how to turn right in Melbourne, when he's trying to figure that out, you're either participating with his repairing or you're tearing that person down. I might have had a friend that experienced this. See, see, this, it means, resurrection means that what we believe is only a small part of the story. How we live here now today matters because we're either participating with the repairing of the world or we're tearing it down. There's this guy named Peter. And Peter has a different way of explaining it. So he encountered resurrection as well. But when he tried to put language around meaning for it, he actually lands in a different place than Paul. And that's okay. It's not one or the other. It's both and. It's a beautiful, multifaceted diamond. Check Peter's observation out. Next slide. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So Peter says, okay, you know what resurrection means? Resurrection means we get a second chance, a do-over, a fresh start. We get a clean slate. And the imagery he uses is a freshly made baby, right? Like a really, you, you, like, you ever seen one of these babies that looks like they just, I mean, they're like this big, right? And the presence of new life changes everything. When there's a new life, look, I have never seen a birth, right? except for what I've seen on TV. I've never seen a birth live, right? I will just say it looks like a hectic thing, okay? Like, like, like the process of getting life from here to there 
looks really daunting, okay? But here's the thing. New life changes everything. Like, could you, could, could you imagine a new baby being handed to a father? And, and that father going, you know what? I just, I, I so believe in that new life. No, no, what, what? It'd be like, wait a minute. To believe in it is one thing. For that new father to look at the baby and go, now this is the most beautiful girl in the whole wide world. That's a whole nother thing, right? right? But you imagine being in the hospital and, and, and the, new ba- the new baby comes and the, and the father's like, oh, wow. She's the most beautiful girl in the whole wide world. Could you imagine if like Sheldon Cooper was in the room, you know? <laughs> and he's like, what? Sir, you don't love the truth. <laughs> Actually, there's going to be a lot of girls uglier than her. And there's going to be a lot of girls prettier than her. She's actually somewhere in the middle. If you love truth, you would have said, oh, this is the most average girl in the whole wide world. Right? Right? No, you wouldn't even know what to say to that. You're like, I'm not speaking literally. I'm speaking with meaning. Right? But until that new life fundamentally shifts the way you see your whole world, it's not less truthful. It's just less meaningful. Right? And new life changes everything. The vainest woman you've ever met will allow her photo to be taken in an unattractive way because there's new life, right? Right, this is what happens. Dads who are introverted, they're like, hey, check this out. Like this, it changes everything. New life, new birth, second chances change everything. Peter says that's what resurrection is. Resurrection is living in a world with second chances. And frankly, that's just better than having your story closed off, right? Let me see if I can put language around that. Next slide. Resurrection offers new birth, an imagery that gives hope to a do-over, a fresh start, a new hope, and a belief that says how it has always been isn't necessarily how it will always be. (laughs) What what does it mean to live with resurrection as a fundamental way of seeing the world? It means we live in a world with fresh starts, second chances, clean slates, mulligans, and the opportunity to write a better story. That your your life story is not closed off. There is always a fresh start, a second chance, and an opportunity to write a better one. And I am telling you, I declare before you today that resurrection as a way of seeing the world just frankly leaves us to a better world. There's this guy named Paul. And he's writing a different letter to a group of people in Rome. It's interesting. He changes language. In Corinth, he says it one way. In Rome, he says it a different way. Watch this. This is him defining resurrection for Roman people. Watch what he says. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. So for Paul, Christ's victory on the cross was, was about death, about defeating death, right? The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But, but the life he lives, he now lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Keep going. There, there, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself as a sin, as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself as an instru- to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. Let me see if I can put some language around this. This is my best effort at this. Next slide. Resurrection offers the opportunity to be free from whatever's driving our lives. 
Fear, rejection, pain, control, greed, hoarding, lust, and anger, they all belong to death, and evidently death doesn't belong. The idea is, is that because of our, not because of our belief in the cross and resurrection, but because of our fundamental identification with the cross and resurrection as an event that fundamentally shifts the way we see all other events after that. Evidently, Paul says, here's what that means. That means that the things that did have mastery over you, you they don't have any mastery over you anymore. If, if you see yourself in Christ there, then you could be dead to the things that have mastery over you, and you could be alive to a new story, a fresh start, a clean slate, something that leads to light and life and increase that you can essentially say to anything that belongs to death, death, you do not belong. That is resurrection. So what's resurrection mean? Not as a belief, but as a fundamental way of seeing the world. It means you never know what God might do to your tomorrow that fundamentally changes everything. That your tomorrow is not a simple a repeat of yesterday. You never know where God might burst into your life with new life, clean slates, mulligans, fresh starts, the opportunity to write a better story. It means that this world matters to God. The way we repair it or don't repair it, it matters because resurrection says that it matters. Resurrection says that if we were wrong about death, what else could we be wrong about? We need to be teachable and learned. We need to do these things. There's a, there's a great... New Testament theologian named N.T. Wright, and uh, one of my favorite authors, and he was trying to define seeing resurrection as a worldview and what that might mean. And I don't think anybody puts it quite as eloquent as he does. Let me show you this. Next slide. The first Christian imagery of resurrection was vibrant and noisy. It rings with a victorious shout, like in the middle of a nap, hearing the burst of a trombone. I love that. Like, like you're, you're laying down for an afternoon nap and you're just about in that floaty feeling in REM sleep and somebody puts the bell of a trombone and blows it as hard as it can into your ear hole. Right? It's that, that's resurrection. Right? The first Christian imagery of resurrection was vibrant and noisy. It rings with a victorious shout, like in the middle of a nap, hearing the burst of a trombone. It rings in your head as a wake-up call to those who awake to the lie that today is just a repeat of yesterday. <laughs> that is resurrection. And resurrection as a fundamental way of seeing the world is frankly better than seeing our world closed. See, the enemy of faith is not doubt. It's not. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's profound doubt. Yet there was profound faith in the middle of it, profound trust. The enemy of faith is sight. The enemy of faith, we, don't, we walk by faith and not by doubt. No, we walk by faith and not by sight. The enemy of faith is only going with what you see and losing the opportunity to be in awe at the altar of heaven to figure it all out. That's the enemy of faith. That's the enemy of faith. Let, let me see if I could summarize. I try to always win my messages. I, I try, Jesus gets bigger, the cross works better, the resurrection central scriptures get bigger, not smaller. But I also try... Um, to leave like one thought that, that pe that'll stick with people. Like I try, to, I try to do that. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Resurrection screams aloud about the old way. He isn't here. He is. Hey, where's that, um, where's that lady I met? Oh, man, I met her. It was two years ago. Um, she was having such a trouble. I know I saw her here. Today. She, she was having such a trouble um, with, with addiction. And it was really, her, she was giving it her best go. And, and I, oh, you didn't hear what happened to her? She, she had a radical encounter, a traumatic experience with the risen Christ. And that old person is dead. And she's not 
here. Hey, where is that guy that was sort of introverted and abusive and a bit of an addict? Where is that, where was that guy? Oh, you didn't hear what happened to him? He had a radical encounter with the risen Christ, and he's not here. Hey, where was that person that had no confidence, that couldn't even give it a go? Oh, you didn't hear what happened to them? They had a radical encounter with the risen Christ, and they got a clean slate, a fresh start, a second chance, and they wrote a better story, and they're not here. Resurrection says that old person is not here, and that is frankly a better way of seeing our world. Now, great sermons are not meant to be agreed with, nor disagreed with. If a sermon can be evaluated in the amount of time it took to deliver it, not a good sermon. Great sermons are, me are meant to be wrestled with. So, so let's, let's wrestle a bit. Next slide. Is there any place we believe that tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday? Like, yeah, yeah, okay. You believe in resurrection as a doctrine, but as a fundamental way of seeing the world, you believe resurrection as a doctrine, but actually, if I cut you open hard enough, you actually struggle with despair, believing that tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday. Resurrection says that's not true. And I would, I would challenge you and encourage you to be a bit more profound in our faith and take one more step towards resurrection as a fundamental way of seeing the world instead of a doctrine we just tick off. That resurrection as a doctrine allows us to believe tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday. But resurrection as a fundamental way of seeing the world says that you never know what God might do to your tomorrow that fundamentally shifts everything. Let's say it this way. Where are we actively participating in the repairing of the world? Or are we just sitting on our butt waiting to go to heaven when we die? Look, if your Christianity is just sitting on your butt waiting to go to heaven when you die, that is just boring. Unless you're 107. Uh, look, if you're 107, please, you can wait to go to heaven, right? It, it's coming, right, quickly. But, right, like, but, and amen. If you're 100, if, 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 when, when we're all 107, we, we would be longing for that, okay? But if you're not 107, that means you woke up today with infinite possibilities to participate with Jesus with the repairing of the world because this world matters to God. He's fixing the broken picture, not throwing it away. Besides our family, whose life is better because of us this week? Besides your family, is there anyone whose life is better? See, that's what resurrection is. Resurrection is showing up going, oh. And this is what I love about the missions arm of, of this place. This is what resurrection is. Resurrection is showing up going, oh, sweetie, you didn't have food yesterday. But that was your yesterday. Because today I walked in your life. And when I walked in your life, resurrection walked in your life. And your tomorrow will not be a repeat of your yesterday. You will have food today, tomorrow, and for the rest of your life because I cannot engage your life without bringing resurrection to it. Oh, oh, sweetie, you didn't have medicine yesterday, but that was your yesterday. Why? Because today, resurrection walked in your life. And when resurrection walks in your life, that means your tomorrow is not a repeat of your yesterday. This leads to a world of infinite possibilities of changing our world. This is inspiring and, quite frankly, a better way to live. Let's say it this way. Next slide. Where's the old guy still alive? Is there any place the old person is still alive? Like, we believe the right things. But actually, in the way we're living, that old person needs to die, needs to go away. Resurrection says if it belongs to death, death does not belong. It's resurrection. Last question. Can we make a commitment to demonstrate resurrection instead of just announcing it? <laughs> Can we make a commitment to demonstrate resurrection instead of just announcing we believe it? 
Because simply announcing we believe it without a demonstration, it loses something. So, my brothers and sisters of Melbourne, may we not just be people on our way to heaven when we die. May we be people committed to bringing heaven to every place we see hell here. May we not just believe in resurrection. May we have a fundamental way of seeing our world that you never know when new creation could burst forth in the middle of this one. If we were wrong about death, what else could we be wrong about? May we know that we cannot waste our life because this world matters to God and everything we do for God cannot be wasted. May we embrace clean slates, fresh starts, second chances, and do-overs, not just for ourselves, but for everybody, everywhere. And may we declare that anything belongs to death. Death does not belong. And finally, my brothers and sisters of faith in Melbourne, may we be the people who scream, he's not here. By being the traumatic, being the experience that fundamentally shifts the way people see their whole entire world. Thank you so much for me to be your guest tonight. Grace and peace, everybody. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.